You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for solar owners and industry, with New Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clenergy, providers of innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, developing smart solar software you can trust for homes, businesses and solar retailers right here in Australia. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, the EV focus website of the driven and one step off the grid. And joining me as usual is solar veteran and solar analytics <laughs> executive Nigel Morris. Nigel, how are you? Ah, executive. No one's called me executive, executive for a while. I like that. Yeah. Look, I'm, just giving you, I'm just giving you a promotion. I couldn't actually work out what the proper title was. So I just thought, well, I'll just give them the best thing. I mean, I can't call you the boss. I know that. I know no, no, boss, no, but, no. That, you know, cranky, executive. that cranky old guy is what they regularly <laughs> refer to. That old dude in the corner who just goes, ah, customers. Ah. <laughs> Isn't that what they all do? <laughs> no, look. Oh, dear. Um, yes. Well, welcome back, Giles. And where have I been? Well, we've been away for two weeks. Two weeks have passed. Oh, yeah. the last chat we had, and, you know, <laughs> stuff's happened. Undoubtedly, look, stuff has has happened. Yes, look, you know, the kind of the energy debate goes on. I don't know. Did we have Texas last time? We um, no, we had, um, no. Look, that was pretty Texas exciting. Is, Texas is fascinating. What happened? What has happened? I actually posted something about Texas saying, "Here's a warning." energy consumers here's a warning of what can happen well it's interesting on a whole bunch of levels one um is the fact that um there was this massive blackout there was about 30 gigawatts um mostly thermal energy missing in action they were 20 gigawatts short on demand and they had millions of people without power some of them days and days and days so there was an issue there with um um, the fact that there wasn't the outage in the first place, the fact that there was this massive um, amount of cold weather. Now, Texas is not the coldest place on the planet. Other grids have colder weather than that. But the problem is that Texas was not expecting such cold weather, so it did not weatherize its grid. So basically, its gas pipelines froze, its coal generators froze and couldn't access things. It's even the, well, the nuclear the water, plant had the to water close. Froze. Well, the, the water, water froze. froze. They couldn't, and there's a lot of water involved in conventional. Absolutely. Things. Yes, and, and some wind turbines also froze up and couldn't operate, but they were really a minor part of the supply chain, even though they became the major focus of all the decries about you know renewables and the transition to clean energy. So we actually ran a really interesting story um, today about the three lessons for Australia, um, and it was really quite clear. One, you've got to prepare your grids for climate change um, because you do get these unexpected winter events in Australia. There won't be so much cold, but as heat, and we've seen what's already happening that when it gets really hot, the same thermal generators windy, struggle. And windy. If it gets and too windy, shit blows over. Well, that's right. Yep. Uh, well, the transmission lines do. Um, yeah. Two, two um, invest in new technologies, not old ones, which is kind of a bit of a yeah. lesson for both our major parties because in the last week we've seen them both sort of recommit towards damn carbon capture storage and gas, which is just like, really, guys? I mean, you know, like your football team's not playing very well, so you're going to get a couple of guys out of retirement and they're not, you know, in their 40s or something like that. You know, get Colin Cowdery back in the cricket team? I don't think so. Um, that wasn't bad, wasn't it? I thought it, it was wasn't bad at all. 
And the third one, of course, was to accelerate the shift to um, clean energy because, guys, um, we don't want this much climate change happening to us anyway, let alone our grid. So um, let's get a move on. And that goes with the UN report, which just sort of pointed out that of all the policies that have been announced by all the rich countries, it basically gets us nowhere between now and 2030. Sure, it arrests some of the increase, but the decrease that they're going to achieve is just nothing like, like it's about one twentieth of what needs to be done over this decade. So that's pretty disappointing. And let me continue on for a bit more. What we've seen is a whole list and a whole host of, you know, false memes and um, Twitter and Facebook just junk, including by our own Senator Matt Canavan, the former resources minister, who was reposting stuff on um, on the frozen turbines, but actually turned out to be frozen turbines. Oh, a helicopter de- de-icing a turbine, but that p- p- turned out to be from seven years ago and was actually just a trial just to see what was, you know, quite effective in sort of preventing the freezing up. And then Sky News posted these, um, had a go at Germany as well, saying that they had problems, which they didn't actually have any problems at all, but they used an old photo of solar panels covered by snow as though that was the end of the world. Well, just like to point out that actually snow covering solar panels does not actually stop them from generating solar energy at all. Um, but that was also from five or six years ago. So, you know, a bit of a fact-free environment from the usual suspects, um, but still an interesting lesson um, from us all. It is, and I, I actually think... Um... Some of the consumer purchasing lessons uh, around energy were really, really interesting, I thought. There are numerous stories of customers who got slugged literally tens of thousands of dollars for energy over over a three-day period. If they did manage to remain connected... and 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 ignored the warnings they were get from their getting from their retailers on the um, you know variable price of energy uh, that they'd signed up for. Then uh, yeah, they could end up paying uh, what was it sixteen bucks a kilowatt hour, I think, which is fairly exy when the heater's on. It's fairly exy. Well, if you've got the heater on, yeah, absolutely. Um, now that was that, that was quite extraordinary. I mean, there's a slightly different system that operates over there, but still, um, yeah, just um, just quite extraordinary the impact of the. Um, the um, the uh, the consumers over there, and interestingly enough, the um, the company that's sort of primarily responsible for that, I think, it's a company called Gidley, which is actually partly owned by Macquarie uh, Group oh. in Australia. So, um, yes, yes, that looks like someone makes some money out of it. Yeah, well, someone makes some money out of it. Well, there's it, it is interesting, I find, because there's a trend towards um, a little bit of a trend toward. I don't know, actually, I don't know if it's a trend. I'm just making that up. There are there are companies an increasing number of companies out there who offer the ability to kind of play the energy market a little bit so when energy is lower you pay less when energy prices are higher you pay more so there is a trend a growing trend of customer choice out there to get onto these variable plans and you know what we saw in the us with gidley was kind of the extreme scenario of that the absolute worst case extreme scenario so yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting. I have to yeah. say also, Giles, hey. that you know, putting Texas aside for a minute, in terms of other big news, uh, the other big news is our old mate. Our old mate's gone. Uh, Who's our old well, mate? Not, uh, Craig Kelly. He's uh, he's not gone. No, he's long. back. He's back. He's back. He came back today. He's back. What? Yep. He's yep. Back yep. In the Liberal Party. Yeah, I just want to clarify one thing. It's not Gidley, it's Gridley. So, oh, Gridley, um, um, so, so that's my no, that's my mistake because I made the mistake first. But Craig is back and promising all those green rent seekers um, that he's going to hold them accountable. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Really? Yeah. This, I, I haven't even read this. Oh my goodness! This I love the women break news like that. Oh, wow. You know. 
It's fantastic. Hey, just going back to what you're saying about those guys, you know, with those flexible and variable tariffs, that's actually looking quite good in Australia because we're getting all these negative pricing events and these really low prices. Yes. Um, so people are very happy about that. But as you yes. point out, if it does go up for whatever reason, then um, things don't look quite as grand as they did. did. And look, just, I'm just going to continue on to Texas for just a couple of things before we go back into the details of our solar thing. Um one of the there's two interesting aspects about this. One, um, Texas had problems because it's operated as basically a standalone grid. It's got some connections to other grids, but not very big and not particularly useful in the circumstances of what they were facing the other the other week. So that sort of, on one hand, it kind of underlines the argument for more transmission lines and greater interconnectivity. But on the other hand, if you're in a small community where the transmission line's gone down or the gas is frozen or whatever has happened, having that local generation and that local support and that local storage, sort of, you know, distributed energy, keeping people online, and let me get that phone call. Um, and um, it's just like, it, it's, you know, it's actually, I think that's going to, so it's going to be really interesting in Australia. We're going to see, you know, on one, on one hand, we're seeing all these proposals for these new transmission links, um, linking renewable energy zones and states and such, such. And we're also seeing increasingly now all these proposals for more distributed energy. And we just wrote last week about two towns in Victoria, which may be taken off grid now. They're only just outside of Bendigo, but they're just mm. on ro- long, thin, rural, skinny lines. So they're looking mm. to look, use solar and battery storage and some backup. But basically, because it's going to be cheaper and more reliable, take these towns off grid. And I think when you see two of them going off grid, I reckon you're going to see dozens, if not more, going off around the country so that's pretty interesting it is interesting it is interesting and there's a it's i mean it's a really um it's a fascinating when you look at microgrids and you look at you know uh localized grids like we've got in wa and then you know to the extreme you go to microgrids and so forth and and you know potentially taking them off grid i've always i've always thought there was a really nice argument for as many people as possible remaining connected to the network to to ensure that there's as many people contributing to the upkeep of the network and therefore it's cheapest for everyone. As long as that's all managed well, the more participants you've got, the better. But of course, there comes a point at which you go, well, if you're not going to maintain the network and allow me to buy and sell energy in a reasonable and logical way, then there comes a point at which it's going to make more sense or you're going to charge me extortionate fees for remaining connected uh, even though I'm not really using a network and actually I might even be providing your network with benefit by discharging lots of energy out there when you need it, then maybe I'll disconnect because you're not rewarding me for that. So it's all, it's, it's all, um, it's all grid, grid 2.0, really. Hmm. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, look, I've just got some breaking news on Craig Kelly. Um, he, I've just found his Facebook page and he has been posting since this morning. Um, he's had a good go at the green energy people. He's had a good go at Matt Keane, the energy minister from New South Wales, um, a Liberal Party colleague, um, who actually sort of said good riddance to him when he got you know, when, when he resigned from the Liberal Party, when Craig Kelly resigned from the Liberal Party. And he's got this, this fascinating thing. He's posted an interview he did on um, Sky News on February the 29th, 2021. So um, I hate to break the news term, but there was no February the 29th in 2021. It <laughs> might have been last year because it was the leap year, but not in 2021. That doesn't happen every year. But, you know, hey, facts, dates, things, you know, kind of, it's all, you know, whatever. 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 Mm. Do you think we better start talking about solar pretty soon? Well, yeah, go on. Go on. Let's talk about something. <laughs> let's talk about something local. What's happened in Victoria? The uh, There's a cut to the feed-in tariffs. Does that matter, Giles? Does it matter? Um, 
Well, look, it's interesting. Um, it's cut by 34%. Um, basically, what happens with the feed-in tariffs now is they're going to reflect wholesale prices. And as we've seen, wind and solar, large-scale renewables and rooftop solar are pushing wholesale prices down. So the amount that you get for your feed-in tariff, pushing it back out to the grid is naturally going to fall. A couple of interesting points about this. Um, so this is the minimum tariff. You probably find that most retailers are offering more than that, although some don't do it for the entire output of your rooftop solar back into the grid. They might actually cap it at a certain amount of kilowatt hours per day or per week or per month or whatever. Um, the minimum is 6.7 cents, which doesn't sound very much. Um, interestingly, there's a time of use tariff as well, which no one has really taken up, actually, because I think, just think it's a bit too complicated for people to think about. But the interesting bit about that is that the shoulder tariff is actually cheaper than the um, the um, load and tariff. From, wow. Yeah, from the off-peak tariff. That's, that's the, the off-peak tariff. So that's pretty bizarre. And the shoulder's thing cheaper about, than the off-peak. Wow. Yeah, I know. Well, which just goes to show to the extent to which the regulations and these hours that we have when we define peaks and shoulders are actually already redundant because yeah. rooftop solar wow. is kind of changing those things anyway. So it's it's almost an admission by the regulator that the whole sort of you know way they calculate things is is needs to be really looked at. Uh, and the other interesting thing to note about Victorian solar feed-in tariffs is that it would have been lower because the forecast prices for Victoria are going down, 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 down. It would have been lower were it not for the fact that they also calculate the social cost of carbon, which I'd kind of forgotten about. And so that adds 2.4 cents a kilowatt hour into the solar um, feed-in tariff, which I guess is probably about the only place where we actually see carbon price explicitly uh, recognised in the Australian energy market. So that's it an is. interesting point. It is. I really like that. I remember when they launched that and they, they did an amazing job. I, I knew some of the guys who were behind or involved in this. And uh, when they actually came out and said, you know, we reckon we've calculated near enough what the externalities are that are always talked about and we're going to price it in. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. It's a shame that it's been cut, but it does show, again, it's that connection between what's happening in the real world and they adjust it reasonably frequently. So that's good. And, um, and you know, at the end of the day, uh, although 30-something percent sounds like a big drop, um, at the end of the day, it changes your payback probably by, you know, three months or six months. It doesn't materially change the economics of solar, especially if you're optimising your self-consumption. You'd need some good monitoring to be able to do that, I have to say. Uh, you'd need something that can intelligently analyse when you're using and exporting and self-consuming. But uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't change the um, the payback very dramatically. So um, I think it's good that it's an intelligent feed-in tariff. It's probably the most intelligent and dynamic feed-in tariff we've got in the market. So good job, by it. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't quite make battery storage um, viable or um, less so or more so, um, maybe at the margins. But um, that probably won't happen until we get more recognition in the markets about what battery storage can do and... Um, and some of their assets. Hey, look, Nigel, we're going to be back very quickly after this little message from one of our sponsors. Clenergy is an Australian-founded enterprise providing innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. Clenergy's innovative approach and engineering expertise gives them a unique edge to create the right base framework for all solar applications. Their range of high-quality products and services include PV mounting, ground mounting products, and solutions for residential, commercial and utility-scale projects. Visit clenergy.com.au and find the right framework for your solar application. And, of course, we'd like to thank all our sponsors, um, Solar Analytics, Sunwood and Clenergy, for their ongoing support of this wonderful podcast. And um, 
Nigel, before we go any further, I think we've got some anniversaries to declare. Um, we do. We, we do. Um, happy anniversary to Kathleen Ryan. Now at Solar Analytics, 26 years no, in the solar no, industry. No, yes, now at Solar. That's, I thought she'd been at Solar Analytics for 26 years for a minute. No, 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 tricky. no, no. But no, she's been in, bless her. Anyone who hasn't met Kathleen Ryan is missing out, firstly. Uh, secondly, uh, doesn't know what they're missing out on because uh, t- someone with 26 years of experience, um, passionate, passionate love and experience for solar. And more importantly, I think, you know, what Kathleen loves about solar is the people and, and, and you know, what a great bunch of mm. um, uh, people we've got who are passionate about delivering solar technology. So happy anniversary, Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And for me too. look, I'm an absolutely great person, a great person to have in the solar industry, knows everyone, remembers everyone's names, um, uh, (laughs) which is better than me because I can never remember (laughs) my own sometimes. But um, look, um, absolutely fantastic. And Nigel, um, have you got an anniversary coming up yourself? I, I do, I do, but um, I have I have an anniversary coming up this year as well, later on this year. But let's not uh, let's not take away from the celebration of Kathleen's anniversary. Okay, we won't. Happy anniversary, Kathleen, from us all, or from us both here at Solar Insiders, and from mm-hmm. everyone out there in the solar industry. Here, here, um, Nigel. Yeah, here, here. Um, Nigel, it says you're going to wear a shirt. That sounds a bit dangerous. <laughs> well. It struck me. I've been. I've sort of been finally you going getting, to court. Yeah. No. No. Not going to court. And not going. Not going to church either. My dad thought that was quite funny. My mum actually listened too because I said I mentioned her, so she had to listen. Uh, I don't know if your mum's tuned in yet, uh, but there's a competition going on clearly between mine and yours. But uh, I do have to iron a shirt and probably have a shave because there are so many events coming up, Giles. And of course, you know things are settling down in terms of being able to travel and move around a little bit more. And it struck me. Only today, actually, I went, oh, my goodness, it's three weeks until the SEA New South Wales Annual Conference, which is, you know, um, uh, an in-person event. Um, uh, Then it's only another nine weeks, or then it's nine weeks, another six weeks to SEA Victoria, which is similar, but in Victoria. Um, That's in May. And then it's only only another seven weeks to... Uh, Smart Energy, uh, which is also in May. And then it's only another um, 13 weeks until the CEC Clean Energy Summit, uh, which has got a a sort of bit of an expo attached to it in July. And then it's only about 30 weeks till all energy. Um, So, you know, in the scheme of, in the grand scheme of things, there's a lot to look forward to over the next 30 or so weeks. And for anyone like me who's got a sort of, you know, pull stuff together and look organised and, you know, all that stuff. It's, it's we're on the countdown. So there's actually a lot of events um, on, on, on the near-term radar and they're going to sneak right up on us. So uh, that's kind of exciting because we didn't get to do that last year. And I think, um, I, I think there might be an excited party or two if these events actually come to fruition. Well, look, it certainly sounds like it. Um, I'm just, you know, well, I, I guess I guess now that we're starting to roll, roll out a vaccine and the um, possibility of these things being disrupted um, diminishes, have have you worked out yet how you're going to greet people? Because it's been a long time. You might have given some people some hugs or, um, you know, um, shaking hands at least. Is it going to be sort of fist bumps or sort of fist bumps or is it going to be sort of, you know, a cold shoulder or what's it going to be? Well, I actually saw a gadget online today which was like one of those little silicon wrist 
wristbands that has a little sanitizer container on it. It's like a Spider-Man thing, and you can kind of twist your wrist, and it squirts a bit of sanitizer into your hand. So I reckon, uh, I reckon that's dead set. I'll send you one. We might get some brand. Or does it sort of squirt and spray the person you're just about to sort of say no, no, no. to? You? No, it's, it's just above your wrist, and it just squirt. Oh, it was the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. But it, it, I just went, oh, I'll be like Spidey. It'll be unreal. I'll just go, and I'll have a little squirt of sanitizer in my hand, and so you can shake hands with people and you know have a little bit of sanitizer in your hands at the same time. So something like that is on the radar. I think for all these that sounds gross. Quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not too sure that's going to work. I mean, there's going to be, you know, you know, hundreds of people sitting around the conference all trying to make the damn wristwatch work and just probably squirting stuff everywhere. Squirting sanitizer yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, okay. Mate, what's next on the item? What's next on the list? Um, uh, well, let's uh, – I might shout out – I mentioned last week um, just very casually tens of thousands of dollars in rewards. I'm just going to shout out – We've got our uh, solar analytics have got their program running now with uh, SunGrow with solar analytics. And we have now formalized that there are thousands, $7,000, in fact, of total rewards out there for people who want to try a tech. We've got a couple more in the wings, a couple more inverter brands in the wings. Um, but if you want to get in now, you can get some rewards for um, just getting uh, getting going with SunGrow and solar analytics, really, and having a, having a try. So, you know, part of what we're doing with this, like so many people do, is when you're putting new tech into the market, when you're trying to get people to adapt and 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 have a try with new technology, sometimes it takes a little bit of a nudge. So uh, we're giving people a little bit of a nudge and a little bit of a reward there. Yeah, that's fantastic. Look, and if you're wondering why there was a bit of a pregnant pause going on there, um, as Nigel mentioned, Sungrow with Solar Analytics, he actually wrote down this, wrote it down in the program notes as SGWSA. Now, what the hell was I supposed to make of that? So, um, <laughs> that's why I was, I was trying to let you go first. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Bloody acronyms, anyway. <laughs> um, here's another one, CEC, but I know the answer to that one, Clean Energy Council. Um, what's happening with the inverters of 15 manufacturers about to be delisted? Sounds yeah. a bit painful for some people. Well, it is actually, and this is there's been quite a lot in the news about AEMO's, um, uh, you know, pushing these standards. And I, I spoke to some guys down at the CER about this as well. And there's a lot going on actually in the space. And uh, from the end of this month, so from the end of thirty uh, first of March, unless at this stage fifteen inverter manufacturers can demonstrate their uh, that their inverters are capable of internet connectivity, um, they will not be able to sell anymore. And um, there's also a connection with the short duration uh, voltage ride-through standards that are starting to come out. So in a nutshell, what's happening is what we've seen happen in South Australia with low voltage ride-through and remote disconnect capability and all that kind of stuff is now being pulled back up into a national standard. It's being pushed back up into the standards quite aggressively by EMO. Um, I'm hearing on the grapevine that um, we thought that actually WA and Victoria might be the next to um, implement sort of South Australian type standards for relevant agent control or remote control of, of inverters. Um, but it looks like Queensland, according to the mm. line, might actually be the next one to go. Um, and here we have AEMO pushing it through standards as well. So w what it all tells us is, you know, we're, we're seeing inverter manufacturers now being told you will be delisted if you can't 
establish permanent connectivity to um, the internet and you're going to have to have this short uh, duration voltage ride-through capability as well and that's just be the beginning. AEMO actually want to do more. Um, so for those in the industry, of course, what this means is you need to be very careful with what stock you're holding. Um, mm. You know, by the end of this month, some of that stock may not be usable in some markets. So this just this just applies to South Australia at the moment, does it? Correct. At the end of the month, okay. And do we do we have a list of these fifteen inverter manufacturers, or was that just made by you know a process of deduction? Um, <laughs> so they will be named if they are delisted. Uh, I think mm-hmm. the uh, the point right now is they're not named because everyone's hoping they won't be delisted. But certainly mm-hmm. at the end of this month they will be if they haven't done what they need to. Okay. Hey, just talking about sort of connectivity of uh, things like um, inverters and stuff like that, it was kind of interesting in South Australia are actually going on to the next step now, which is moving to connectivity of other loads. So you've got things like EV chargers, you've got things like pool pumps, you've got things like air cons and um, hot water systems. So they're all looking at sort of making them connectable. Um now, they're sort of saying that it's whether these sort of things end up being connected is kind of up to the household, but you can see what's going to happen next down the track once they actually sort of have the connectivity, then that's going to be deployed, um, which does make you wonder to what extent the um, the market operator is going to be wanting to control kind of everything happening out there. Um, and um, there's some people who think there's a little bit of overreach and at risk here, um, but um, kind of interesting. Anyway, back to inverters, Nigel, there's a couple of people who have already been delisted. Well, solar panels, in fact, delisting of solar panels. So, um, oh, beg my pardon, beg my pardon. Yeah, uh, no, two brands, and I think it's always worth calling these out. The, the, the Clean Energy Council lists, you know, delistings and stuff regularly, and this was off their newsletter. Um, there was, um, but a couple of note actually, um, Das Solar Co. Proprietary Limited. Um, so, all Das Solar Co. Limited uh, solar panels will be delisted. They were already delisted, actually, by the time this goes to air, 23rd of February. Uh, but what was really interesting was it was due to failure to meet the claimed minimum power specification. Now, this, I know, has come out of the really hard work that the people inside the CC and the associated organisations do, where they actually mystery shop, they mystery buy, uh, they get panels, they send them to labs and they test them and they confirm uh, whether those panels are doing what uh, is alleged on the specifications. And here is a case where clearly they've caught someone else um, doing that. Um, now, DAS is an interesting company. I went, who the hell is DAS Solar? And I went, oh, okay, it's a, it's only a, a young company, a Chinese uh, manufacturer. It doesn't bode too well for them. Hopefully, it's just a glitch in the system and then, you know, not quite getting things sorted out as a new company. So we'll wait and see uh, whether DAS Solar come back and, and you know, manage to get relisted. Um, but there was another one as well, which um, I'm going to actually um, also call out, or well, they're all listed, it's all public, but M-Square Energy Proprietary Limited. Uh, they also had all models of their solar modules um, um well, they all, all models are delisted as of February 21st. Uh, uh, beg your pardon, February 21. I don't have the date, uh, but it was in February. Uh, same thing, failure to meet the specified power rating in CT, CT testing and other issues. It doesn't say what the other issues. But this one is particularly fascinating because I've been watching M-Square for a while. Um, they've actually been the subject of multiple complaints and investigations because they continue even to... Last, late as last week, to fraudulently 
I'm going to say fraudulently, they imply so blatantly on their website that their panels are made in Australia. It is just absolutely deceptive wording. You would really have to be on your game to not be fooled into thinking that they were made in Western Sydney, uh, which they are absolutely not. They're made in China. And, um, you know, M Square have been masquerading as an Australian-made panel for some time. I think it's appalling behaviour. I'm glad they've been caught. I'm glad they can no longer supply into the market. I don't know if they actually supplied anything or not, because there are, you know, there is really only one. And if there was more than one, I'd celebrate both of them. But Tindo Solar are the only Australian solar panel in the market. They're the only ones who, you know, sustained and actually have a plant and have just actually built a new factory, which we should talk about in a few weeks when they're finished. But uh, there is only one. They've invested tens of millions of dollars and, you know, farewell M-square energy, I say. Mm, There you go. There you go. Well, that's enough of the bad news coming out of um, solar. Um, Just one little good news story that we've published um, in One Step Off the Grid this week. Um, David Hamilton, um, he lives in um, just north of Launceston. I don't know exactly where, but 30 kilometres north, northeast of Launceston. So it must be pretty close to, uh, I'd imagine it must be up near Bridgewater or somewhere in Scottsdale or somewhere up there anyway. Um, I'm not that strong on my geography in Tasmania, despite having gone down there recently. But... um, yeah, they put some BP solar systems, I've watched you would have probably known about, Nigel, um, back in 2008 and um, made a couple of alterations, took them off the shed, stuck them on some poles and have now celebrated 100 megawatt hours of production over 13 years. And um, this goes to show solar does work and it does continue to work. And, um, you know, they've had, um, you know, a, f- a few challenges, lightning strikes and things like that. And um, But um, all's good and still producing away. No, it's a nice little story. That is beautiful. Are they on grid or off grid? Do you know? No, they're on grid as far as I can work out. On yes. grid. Oh. Um, on grid. Yeah. Well, a huge, a huge um, shout out because uh, having installed an on grid system in 2008, that was quite early. He was an early adopter. Uh, they uh, were early adopters. Yeah, yeah, they would have been very, very early in. There wasn't, there weren't huge rebates down in Tasmania, if I recall correctly, at that time. So, you know, they were very much early adopters who would have paid a lot of money for that system. And they really, paved the way uh, for, you know, the industry that we have today and for other consumers to to, um, um, uh, to be able to get cheaper solar today by being early into the market. So bless them. Good on you, folks. Yeah, and you like this little part too. They've got these adjustable poles, so they can actually sort of change um, the, um, the angle um, of the panels. So they push them up in winter because the sun's gone north. Um, um, so far north, you can barely see it in Tasmania. But um, so they put, push the... <laughs> push the angle up further and then they bring them down sort of flatter in summer to um to maximize the um the output so um oh, yes love, very manual it. very manual it's, yeah no, it's, oh, it's look, you know the, the the first solar company i work for i'm going to give a shout out here rainbow power company up in nimbin now many people may not know that i worked in nimbin uh but i did that's where i started because that's where you had to start because that's the hippies were onto it mate. the hippies knew all about nimbin, solar they were nimbin remembers on- you nigel nimbin yeah. remembers you <laughs> but uh, uh rainbow power company one of the very very early 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 companies into the market they had a big factory where we we're doing all sorts of cool things and i was very very fortunate to work with the team up there and get a get an introduction into the world of solar and uh and all sorts of other things but on the roof we had a vast array. In fact, it was one of the biggest uh, grid connect. Was one of the first grid connected three phase systems in the country. In fact, the first three phase grid connected system in the country had batteries, 
had all sorts of things. And there were all sorts of different solar panels that we had on the roof that we were testing. Um, I think the largest one we had was an 85 water because that was the biggest you could get back then. Um, <laughs> and um, we had about six or seven, eight different arrays and they're all connected or they're all on tilting mechanisms all connected by cables to a big handle in the showroom. So whoever was on sales duty that day, uh, at a certain time of the day, you had to go over to the lever and push the lever, which tilted the array a little bit, and we'd track the sun every day. For us, that was easy peasy because we were there. You know, you had someone always in the office and we would track the sun all day long and then we could adjust them seasonally and all sorts of things. So there are, I, you know, simple is beautiful in some ways. I really like that. Needed. Yep. It sounds like the way I charge my car with a solar. Um, but sometimes, um, like today, a cloud comes over and I fail to notice. Oh, I actually end up drawing some electricity down from the grid. Shock horror. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. The shame. The shame of it all. Um, anyway. Hey. Speaking um, of EVs. Yes. Oh, that's a good segue. Is that a segue? I think it might be. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna call, call it as well. <laughs> so. I always manage to sneak in something about electrical, electric motorcycles uh, into every episode because they're the coolest thing ever. But um, actually, there was some really amazing news that I only picked up on today. Um, uh, Honda, Yamaha, KTM and Piaggio, so four really big names, really, really big names in motorcycle uh, manufacturing around the world, long, long legacies as, as companies, have announced uh, a collaboration in the standardization of motorcycle electric motorcycle swappable batteries now okay that's most people can kind of connect the dots and go well that's cool that'll probably help make batteries cheaper which it will um their aim is also to extend the range on those batteries by collaborating on research and aggregating volume so they're all getting they're getting buying power together that's very cool because it's particularly challenging in the motorcycle space you need really really high energy density to get lots of energy in a small light package um but what was also really really interesting about what they're aiming to do was two other things number one part of the reason and they wanted them uh, swappable was not only because in certain applications, dirt bike riding or you know recreational riding, having a spare battery and being able to just swap it out is really convenient. But it also allows you, like we've seen in some of the Southeast Asian countries particularly, to potentially go to a battery swap station and just pop the battery out and swap another one in and, you know, um, uh, actually uh, extend your range by swapping batteries. Now, you know, whether that's got a future as a range extension mechanism or not, I don't know. But war, there were some really interesting hints in the article that came out because what they were also talking about was what happens at the end of life of those batteries. So can we develop a standard for electric motorcycle swappable batteries that extends their life into other applications? So if you've now got a standardized format, that's in a safe package that you can go, well, I can't use it for my bike anymore. The range is too limited for me because I've used up, you know, 30% of the capacity of the battery, but I wouldn't mind a battery on my home and I've got a solar system. So can I make this now a standardized, interoperable, connectable battery to get a second life out of in the home? And that's what they were talking about in their article. So this is actually quite exciting because it crosses not only the coolest topic in the world, which is electric motorcycles, but it's actually moving into how do we get second life and how do we get other uses for those batteries? And, you know, as usual, motorcycles are going to save the day. 
motorcycles hooray um there's actually a really good um there's actually a really good no 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 I'm, that's really genuine um <laughs> there's actually an australian company called relectrify which is actually specializing it's actually got some money um, from the australian um uh, renewable energy agency to um do a trial and just using um old, old batteries because now we're getting some of those you know earlier nissan leaves and things like that and their batteries are getting depleted so they're now actually looking at how you use um batteries and they do have a even though their um their range might have depleted in the motor car because they've sort of been used um all the time um as a stationary thing they're still quite useful so um mm. it, it's a really good idea probably put them in commercial installations or you know grid-based installations or you know even in households or something like that so um yeah no that's a um that's a really good innovation that shouldn't just happen to electric um, motorbikes but electric cars um as well well indeed indeed and uh, and i think um it's great that re-electrify doing their thing and there's a lot of talk now there's a whole sort of beginning of the wave or inevitably following the wave of ev evolution everywhere else in the world and as they're spilling out you know uh, in, in really really high rates it's inevitable that over time some of them are going to be crashed or damaged or you know uh, just reach their end of life so it's great to see these innovators some um, you know coming up with solutions for that before it becomes a big problem yeah hey i'm just going to sort of quote out one little article that we actually had published on the driven today um and it's kind of interesting because um it's something that um i didn't um didn't actually know um never find the damn thing um where is it it's oh. driven it's on, on the driven, driven. Wow. on the driven why isn't it there i I read the driven today. It was a good read today. They talked. You talked about Tesla's price drops, uh, electric cars requiring less materials. Well, that's oh, the one I'm looking for. I just can't oh, find it now. It's supposed oh, to be they're there. Convertible. They're convertible. Well, there's the Volkswagen convertible. That sounds pretty cool. Um, and there's the tech giants going into um, electric vehicles. So don't expect to see a steering wheel um, in them. There's another one about the um, Ionic 5, which is selling well. And it's actually going to have an external port. So you can charge your car, um, use your power tools and um, plug anything into your car. Ford um, got one of those I read, the, read about the other day too. They've got an amazing well, little, yeah, they've got, you know, it's, a, it's, it's marketed as a ute with, you know, uh, up to seven kilowatts of inverter in the bloody thing. Uh, which was remarkable. So it was marketed to tradies and going, you know, here you go, just run your power site off your hybrid truck. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Um, I still can't find, oh, here we go. Look, it's here now. I don't know where it's gone. I can't see it on the front page, but I found it with a search. So this is um, so a new study released um, this week, and just 30 kilograms of raw materials are lost in the production and use of an electric car after 70% is recycled at the end of life. This compares with the 17,000 litres of fuel burnt by internal combustion engine cars. So um, if, you, um, if you piled those, um, those barrels on top of each other, there'll be like a 25-storey building um, of, um, of, petrol, of, of barrels of fuel, which you kind of burn during the um, average life of a uh, petrol or diesel car, compared to just 30 kilograms of raw material, which, um, which are wasted in a, um, an electric vehicle. So um, there's something to think about. There's something to think about. Absolutely. Go. Absolutely. Nigel, I think we might be reaching the end of our podcast and um, we'll be back in a fortnight with news of a very exciting new initiative, um, which is coming our way. And oh. um, yes, we should be 
Very excited about that, but we're, we're gonna we're gonna hold off on it. I know you're. Don't, don't say anything. Don't, don't, don't say, say anything. anything. It's a anything. But you've got to come back in a fortnight to find out what and why and where and when. Um, in the meantime, thank you to all our listeners. Um, please do give us your feedback. We love to hear it. Um, and uh, do listen to our other podcasts, um, Energy Insiders and Driven Podcasts is all also back up and running now with some interesting stuff about electric vehicles and um, all the things that go with it. Thanks once again to our sponsors, Solar Analytics, SunWiz and Clean Energy. And thanks again to you, Nigel. And um, one more salutation to, um, to Kathleen Ryan on her anniversary. Fantastic. Yeah. 26 years. Yeah. yeah. Let's hope we we can all... We need lots of people at 26 years and lots of young people coming up behind the 26-year-olds too, which is one of the great things that Kathleen does is she mentors young kids into the industry as well to make sure that um, we can all go and retire to the Bahamas together. <laughs> Bahamas? I'm going to Tassie. There you go. <laughs> Thanks. Look, bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clanergy, the providers of high-quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility-scale solar projects. With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clanergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clanergy find the right framework for any solar application. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider for the solar and storage industry. SunWiz's new partnership with OpenSolar will amplify the value delivered by their world-leading solar software platform. With pro setup, training and assistance, run your business at maximum velocity. Visit sunwiz.com.au. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics, developers of smart solar software you can trust for homes, businesses and solar retailers right here in Australia. Get more from your solar. Visit solaranalytics.com.au.